You're listening to the New Life Church Sunday Morning Podcast. We're a family of believers in Anderson, Missouri, that want to experience God in a real way, both inside and outside the walls of a building. For more Sunday messages, upcoming events, or to get in touch, visit new-life-church.net. It's Monday morning. The alarm begins to proclaim, rather rudely, I might add, it is time to quit sleeping, crawl out from underneath those warm, soothing blankets, face the cold air of the bedroom, and begin to get ready for the day ahead of work, getting kids to school, chores, fill in the blank. As a strong sense of deja vu settles on you like the frost on the windshield of your vehicle outside, you think to yourself, what happened to Saturday? What happened to Sunday? Wasn't it just Friday yesterday? (laughs) You're right. (laughs) The bins of parts to assemble, the onslaught of emails to attend to, the all-out invasion of dust bunnies, spills, and dirt. The upcoming reports and final exams that could care less about how you feel and how little sleep you've had. Those things all slowly begin to invade your mind like lava lurking its way down the side of a volcano, consuming and destroying everything in its path. Then you remember a verse that was inspired by the Holy Spirit to be written, and that was written by the wisest man to walk on the earth, second to Jesus Christ himself. It goes like this, absolute futility, says the teacher, absolute futility, everything is futile. What does a person gain for all his efforts that he labors at under the sun? Oh good, just the pick-me-up I needed. (laughs) Has anybody else ever felt like that? Monday morning? If you haven't, you're lying to me, or you're still a kid. (laughs) <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> well, there is absolute truth in those verses. They're on God's word. And we have to look at the context of them, obviously. This morning, though, we will look at it from another perspective as we continue through the letter that Paul penned to the church in Thessalonica, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Last week, after a sweet time of sharing, which I enjoyed immensely, Uh, So thankful for all who shared, especially the kiddos uh, that were willing to share about what they were thankful for last week. We we talked about being thankful for God's gift, God's gift of sexual purity. And we don't have time to go through the review of that this morning, but I would encourage you to check out our website. You can listen to it if you'd like to catch up on it. Um, But we need to just jump right into our text today. So uh, I know you just sat down, but would you mind to... Uh, stand up with me and while we read this. We're going to read these verses, and then kids, you're going to get to go to your class. I was getting waved down in case I was about to forget. But it's good for you to be in here with us while we read the Word. Starting in verse 9, we're going to go through 12. And it's on the screen there if you'd like to follow along that way. About brotherly love... You don't need me to write you because you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. In fact, 
you are doing this toward all the brothers and sisters in the entire region of Macedonia. But we encourage you, brothers and sisters, to do this even more. To seek to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your own hands as we commanded you, so that you may behave properly in the presence of outsiders and not be dependent on anyone. Kids, you may go to your class and you, the rest of us may be seated, except for me, I guess. <laughs> Thank you, workers, for leading and loving on our kiddos during our time. So in verse 9 here, Paul is reminding this church, as well as all of us, who teaches us about love. Because God is the source of love. God, he is love. See that in 1 John 4, 8. Love is from God. He created it, originated it. It's from him. That's also in 1 John 4, verse 7. And then he demonstrated it to us through his son, Jesus Christ. And that's in Romans 5.8. And then in verse 10, Paul continues, he commends, he commends them that they are displaying this brotherly love to one another and even their neighbors, which is the entire region of Macedonia. So their brotherly love for each other is extending beyond the walls of their building, beyond their neighborhoods, beyond their city and even into neighboring areas. It's not contained to just one area. And then in the last part of verse 10, Paul says, but we encourage you, brothers and sisters, to do this even more. And then he goes on to explain to them how they can do this even more in this time, in this place, through three exhortations. An exhortation is just a fancy word of, you should do this, all right? So, you should do these things. And those three things that we're going to cover this morning are these. One, leading a quiet life. Two, minding your own business. And three, working with your own hands. And so we're not going to ignore the first one and the second one here, but I will let you know ahead of time that we will spend the majority of our time in the third one, working with our own hands. Okay? First off, leading a quiet life. In the original language, to strive after a quiet state of being in God is what he's saying here. A quiet, restful confidence in God. <clears throat> it's not hang out and let this happen. It's not a passive thing. It's a striving for being at peace, being in a quiet state of being restful in God. And then that, in turn, will translate our ability to be at peace with others around us. See, this is not a complacency. This is not a laziness. This is a striving for peace with God. It is alongside minding your own business and working hard. There's a combination of that, and we'll keep touching on that throughout our time. But has anybody experienced <clears throat> rest and play in a season where you didn't have to work much? And it just kind of gets to be ho-hum. And then have you experienced rest and play after hard work? And the sweetness that that is. The enjoyment of that, of, of having worked hard, having accomplished something, 
and then getting to rest and play. And it's so much more relaxing. It's so much more enjoyable. Ecclesiastes 2, 24-25 says, There is nothing better for a person than to eat, drink, and enjoy his work. I have seen that even this is from God's hand, because who can eat and who can enjoy life apart from him, him being God? God led us in this by example after creation. God worked in creating the world, creating the animals, creating us back in Genesis, and then he rested on establishing the Sabbath. Was God out of energy? Was he out of breath? No. But he led by example in saying that it is good to rest, leading a quiet life. Now, I will confess of these three things, this is the one I struggle with the most. Taking that time to rest. It's hard to not just keep doing. And many of you that I know, I would wager, is in a similar boat with me in this. See, God desires for us to rest in Him. Not to neglect work, not out of complacency, not out of laziness, but to be still and to know Him. And again, back to Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 6, better one handful with rest than two handfuls with effort and a pursuit of the wind. Because in all of our striving and in all of our effort and all of our work, what are we really accomplishing at the end of the day? We can accomplish some good things. We can do it for the right reasons, and we'll cover that, but we live in a place where moth and rust destroys. So we should lead a quiet life. We should mind our own business. And Paul was addressing a certain group of people in this church in this time who had quit their jobs in anticipation of Christ returning. Well, they missed that by a couple thousand years, right? He still hasn't returned. It could be any time. We look forward to that day, absolutely. But in the meantime, we don't get to just check out. And those same people who were more resting, more complacency, more laziness, checking out of life, were then turning towards meddling Being nosy, gossiping. Now, let me be clear. This is not an excuse for us not to be involved in each other's lives. Paul just stated in verse 9 about brotherly love and continuing to do that and doing it more and more. And we covered what that looks like in chapter 3, verse 12. And again, you can go back and listen to that. But... Love is clearly defined in 1 Corinthians 13. It's putting others above ourselves, not keeping records of wrong. So how do, we, how do we figure this out? How do we figure out the balance of what's too far? What's minding or, what should we mind our own business in versus be involved in other people's lives in? Well, it goes to understanding the motives of our heart is where it ends up. Is it about promoting ourselves? 
Or is it about promoting others? And those are the two questions we should ask ourselves when we're tempted to get involved somewhere with somebody's life. Is it about us or is it about them? If it's getting involved for ourselves, it's about so we feel better. It's a comparison game, right? Well, I'm not that bad. I haven't done that. Or fill in the blank. I don't have to give you all the examples. We each have done it. To degrade them so that we feel better about ourselves. To help us seem more knowledgeable and smart than them, than most of us really are. I say that out of love. (laughs) Yet, if we're doing this to get involved for them, it's so that their faith might increase and grow. That it would be based on God's word, not our own agendas for them. Again, we have to be careful in walking this and living this out and minding your own business. To be involved in our each other's lives as brothers and sisters in Christ, to help each other grow, to encourage each other, to love each other, to be there for each other when we have needs, but not for our own reasons or agendas, but for God's. The third exhortation or thing that we should do per Paul here is to work with our own hands. And Paul is addressing all kinds of work here. And again, to this people group, to us today, especially those that worked with their hands in Thessalonica. And in that day and time, it was considered menial. It was considered uh, you were a lower class if you worked with your hands. Uh, it You know, you were lumped in with the slaves of the time. In this day and time, it could be the same, although here, I know there are many of you who work with your hands. And I'm thankful for that. And I'm glad you do. And so as we toss the anchor into this part of our text, the the working with our hands, I'd like to explore four truths about working with our hands and work in general. So if you don't work with your hands, it's okay, I'm talking to you as well. The first truth is this, God created work. God created work. That should be an attitude changer on Monday morning, right? God created work. Even before the fall It's not like there was work all of a sudden after Adam and Eve sinned. There was work before then. It was after the fall that the sweat and toil began within work. Genesis 1.28, God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls on the earth. The very first command that God gave his creation. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, rule it. Work. The second truth is this. All work can be God's work. All work can be God's work. Not just 
if you work for a church or you're a missionary or I'm not a paid professional, guys, in this. This is my role. And each one of your jobs can be God's work too and just as valuable and just as important for the kingdom and glorifying him as mine. The, qualify, the qualifier for this is our motive to glorify God. And 1 Corinthians 10.31 tells us that everything we should do should be to glorify him. And then if that work helps others, doing the job we have to the best of our ability, giving God the glory for it. Why? Well, he created you, right? He gives you your, nef- your next breath, your next beat of the heart. He gives you the skills that you have. He gives you the talents that you have. He worked it out that you could have the job that you have, the mental capacity to perform that job. The money you earn is his. The promotions you get are because of his grace in your life giving you the skills and the ability to earn them. He gets the glory. He should get the glory. All work can be God's work. If you're cleaning the toilet, if you're sweeping the floor, if you're digging a ditch, if you're changing a tire, if you're teaching at school, if you're pushing papers, if you're whatever it is, all work can be God's work. Unless you're a drug dealer, you're in the mafia, organized crime, obviously... Obviously, okay? We don't have to go down there. Every single job that we have can be God's work. If we go about it for his glory and his purpose, the right attitude. It all contributes. Whether you're slinging auto parts or slinging a broom. The third truth is this. God created us to be workers. Genesis 2.15, the Lord God took the man and placed him in the Garden of Eden to work it and watch over it. Again, before the fall, before he sinned, God worked. We went over that already through creation in that time. Jesus himself worked when he was here on earth as a carpenter. Learning the trade, his dad taught him, helping to provide. And then he worked in his ministry years later in life, going from town to town, healing, preaching, teaching, loving, serving. You see, God did not create us to retire as the world defines retirement. God did not create us to retire as the world would define retirement. Let me explain this. So, after performing the job to the best of our ability that God gives us for his glory, taking that income, giving back to him what he's given us, yes, 
we should save towards our future. We should. That is prudent, that is biblical, that is right. So that, as Paul tells us, we don't have to be dependent on other people. So that, yes, someday, Lord willing, I hope I don't have to have a day job, so to speak. Okay? So that part of retirement is not bad. But so that we would be more freed up to serve and live out that GC squared life, that great commandment, great commission life that he calls us to. So that we're not distracted with the 40, 50, 60 hour a week day job that we have. Think about how much more ministry we can do, we could do, if we didn't have that day job. How many more people could we love on? How many more opportunities could we share the gospel? How many more fill in the blank? I've met people in their retirement who saved and bought an RV and traveled the country with tools in the back going from Christian camp to church that had needs of repairs. And that's what they do in their retirement. They stop in with the grandkids, hang out with them, then they go to the next spot and work on that camp, work on that church, work on that place that has need where a hurricane hit or whatever. What a glorious retirement is that? What a way to honor God and live their life out in that way. Is it bad, Matt, to fish, to hunt, to travel, to shop, to play bingo, whatever happens in retirement? I'm not saying those things are bad in and of themselves at all. Not saying that. But God created us to love Him and to serve Him. Yes, to enjoy His creation. Yes, as we've talked about, to rest in Him. But also to love others, to love Him, to work with our hands. And it doesn't just stop because we've hit the age of 72 and a half or whatever it is. And I will be the first to tell you, we have some great examples of people who are living out their retirement years well around here. We have some great examples of that. With, and they're going to get embarrassed, but I'm going to do it anyway. With Mary Lou, who's in preschool, with Nancy May, who's not here. With Doug and Vicki. With Tony. And others that I'm sure I'm not mentioning right now. At our former church, we had two folks that were of retirement age and they were on the mission field. One of them finished up his construction career so that he could go full-time to the mission field in his early 70s in Spain. The other one actively leads four to six trips a year to Honduras, medical mission trips in his mid-70s just had his shoulder replaced and he couldn't wait to get rehab so he could go back. That is living well in retirement. If you'd like a resource to follow up on, John Piper has a great book on it that says, Don't Waste Your Life. The fourth truth about work is this. Being a good worker displays the gospel. Being a good worker displays the gospel. Matthew 5, 7, Matthew 5, 16 says this, In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works 
and give glory to God who is in heaven. When we work hard and we work well, we are displaying the gospel in our lives to others. There is a difference in us. And I know that every one of you can look around where you work or people you know and go, there is a level and a quality of work that is far less than what it used to be. I hear it all the time. People trying to hire people coming out of college. Young people um, trying to keep people in the construction industry. It's horrid right now. You can't keep good help. If you get somebody to stick around, their quality of work is terrible. Are you working for the Lord or for yourself? Are you setting an example and displaying the gospel in your life through your work? Or are you there just for a paycheck? Yeah, we need the paycheck. But if we go about it for God's glory and displaying the gospel, the paycheck will be less of an issue. Do you find yourself trying to get away with what you can at work, only doing the bare minimum? Or do you find yourself wanting to improve and do a better job for God's glory? Not because you're pursuing a career promotion for your own self. We, we all must work with our hands in a manner of speaking, in a way, whether we're blue-collar, white-collar, mix of the two. I don't know what color that is. Aqua. And we must do it in balance within the framework, as Paul's saying here, of leading a quiet life, of striving to rest in the Lord, as well as minding our own business. The danger can be is when we only focus on one of these. See, if we only focus on a quiet life, <clears throat> resting only, then the danger is laziness. And Proverbs is full of warnings about sluggards and laziness. The other danger in that too is not providing for your family. Paul says in 1 Timothy 5.8 that they're worse than an unbeliever. That's, that's a hefty charge. Not saying this is, you're not making enough money, but you're trying and working really hard. There's, there's ways to supplement that. There's ways, and hey, I'm available if you want some ideas on that. Okay, I'd be happy to help. I've been there where I had 20 bucks in the bank account. <laughs> Wondering how I was going to buy food for my family the next day. So I can relate. And please, don't walk it alone. We're here together as a body. Let us show brotherly love towards one another in this. The danger of just minding your own business is obviously we just hole up. And become professional hermits. 
See, everything we do communicates what we believe. Let me say that again. Everything we do communicates what we believe. Do you believe in the gospel? The gospel meaning being that what Jesus Christ did by coming to the earth, being born, living here as a human, the Son of God, going to the cross for our sins, God's wrath, that we deserve paying for it on the cross. And then going to the grave and beating death by rising again. That being the gospel. That work in our lives changing us, transforming us. Does what we do communicate that? How we perform our jobs, does it communicate that? How we mind our own business, encourage one another, communicate that with our lips and our lives, with our words and our work. Paul said it in in chapter 2, verse 8. We shared the gospel of God, but also our own lives. It's not about being a hermit. The danger with only working on our hands is our focus is only our work and it becomes an idol. And too many have done this. We've seen many do this. And the problem with putting our identity and all of our efforts into our work is this, as Tim Keller says, we end up with either a big head or a broken heart. Because we think we've done it and we've earned it and our head gets obnoxiously huge. And so it's all about our pride in ourselves. And then when the day comes that we're no longer a valuable return on the investment of the company or firm that hired us, our hearts are broken. Because that was where our worth was. See, in the United States, that's, we're born, right? We're born a boy or a girl, and then we grow up and we become a doctor, a lawyer, a mechanic, a preacher, a housewife, whatever. No, we should become a son or a daughter of the God of the universe who loves you. And that's what we should be defined as, not by what we do. A human being in God, not a human doing. Ecclesiastes 6, 7, all of a person's labor is for his stomach, yet the appetite is never satisfied. That raise didn't last as long as you thought it would, did it? Didn't keep you happy as long as you thought it was, that promotion. You know, we've covered a lot of ground, a lot of truths in this word, but I just trust that the Holy Spirit speaks to you what what you need to walk out of here with. Resting in the Lord, working for the Lord, leading a quiet life, minding your own business. God created work. It's not a drudgery that we should avoid or abhor on Monday mornings. All work can be God's work. God created us to be workers. Good work displays the gospel.
I'd like to pray some verses over us as we close. Scripture's full of it. How, just, that was the hard part on this, is how do I settle on which verses to, to share without overwhelming you. But the bottom line is this. Are we living life for ourselves or are we living life for God? Whether we work, whether we play, whether we rest. And there's, there's two choices. And one choice leads to life. One choice leads to hope. Leads to us being able to sing, It is well with my soul regardless of what's going on around us or in us or somebody is doing to us. And the other way, you get some fleeting pleasures. But Monday morning's always coming. Monday morning's always coming. What will you choose? And it's a choice we need to each make every day. I'm not talking about our salvation, but our ch- our, I'm talking about our choice to serve him and love him each day. So pray with me if you would. Your eyes can be open. There's no law about that. Mine are going to be. Father, as you tell your people in Isaiah 40, 15, you will be delivered by returning and resting Your strength will lie in quiet confidence. Help us to be willing to return to you, Father God. It is only in you that we can find our rest. Father, that we would increase in our brotherly love for one another. Not to be meddling or nosy, but to build one another up, as you instruct us in 1 Thessalonians 5.11. Father, as your servant asks you in Psalm 90.17, we also ask you that the favor of the Lord our God be on us. Establish us for the work of our hands. Establish the work of our hands. And that our work be our very best for your glory, but stay in balance with our rest in you. That you give us the strength, Father, to do what each of us are weak in and to improve in the areas, improve in those areas and to give you the glory and praise and strength for the areas that we are strong in and not let it go to our heads. But that way we, we would remain humble for you. Let our lives, our lips, our words, our work, be a display case for the gospel each and every day. In precious and holy name, Jesus. Amen.